0: Welcome to the Church at UH weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the church, please visit churchatuh.org. Amen, amen. Well, it's a huge honor and a joy to be back with you again. Um, If you don't mind, you join me in a brief word of prayer. Father, we are grateful, beyond grateful for your great love for us. We know that apart from you, um, Lord, we are, God, people who have no vision, no hope, no future, and no eternity um, with you, God, but because of your work in our lives through your son and your continual work in our lives through your spirit, we have hope, we have a future. And we have purpose. We ask that you would be with us in our time in a unique and special way. Pray that you would give us ears to hear. And would you give me, um, Lord, a a mouth to obey and to speak your truth uh, in a way that would bring you glory. God, we pray that you would just throw your weight around in here. And that we would feel, God, just the full measure of who you are as your word is being um, shared to your people. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible or your iPhone or an extraordinary memory, you can find me in Galatians chapter 1. We will begin in verses 1 through 10. That's Galatians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 10. Galatians is right after 2 Corinthians, right before Ephesians. I'll begin reading verse 1. Paul, an apostle Is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Have you ever received a text message from someone that said, Hey, can we talk? You know, usually when that happens to me, it means one of three things. One, I'm about to hear some good news, something that's going to give me joy and delight. Two, I could be hearing some bad news, something that's going to bring me sorrow and deep sadness. Or third, I could be receiving some fake news, something that may sound good, but it's really rooted in a lie. So really, it's really bad news. Well, in Galatians, the book of Galatians as a whole, Paul has been hearing some bad news from the church in Galatia. He had first started there running through the streets as the gospel gold charter that he is, telling them the good news about Jesus that God had done for them what they could not do for themselves. But after he left, some false teachers started infiltrating the church and telling them, no, 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 that gospel that Paul preached to you, um, that's not all you need. That's just the ABCs. You need some X, Y, Z. You need some law. So they said, In order to be right with God, you need to take what Paul said and then you need to add some law with it. When Paul heard this, he was beside himself. He was not a happy camper, so he writes some of his strongest language in the New Testament here in the book of Galatians because he understood that if you don't get the gospel right, it doesn't matter what you get because you won't get God. In our time together this evening in a message I've entitled Separating the Real from the Fake, we're going to see that Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's the only message that the gospel, that's the only gospel message that the Bible proclaims. Paul's gonna show us three things. One, he's gonna show us the delight of good news. Second, he's gonna show us the danger of bad news. And lastly, he's gonna show us the damnation of fake news. So the delight of good news, the danger of bad news, and the damnation of fake news. Verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Paul starts off here just like he starts off most of his, his New Testament and epistles, letting the church know who he is. But he doesn't just let them know who he is. He tells the Galatians how he became who he is. He said, I'm an apostle, but not by man nor through man. Basically, what he's saying is my authority and my leadership didn't come from myself, it didn't come from any man, it came from God himself. Now why is that important? Well, usually when people are trying to share untrue false gospels, bad doctrine about the Bible, they usually have a spiritual authority that's been self-appointed, that has no biblical validity, right? And it, the reality is, this is very present in our day to day where, you know, somebody will call themselves apostle this, apostle that. And I'm always shocked when I meet somebody who calls themselves an apostle because I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So as an apostle, what does that mean? Because usually when somebody tells you, you know, they're an apostle, and you ask them, so let's check the car fact. Like, how did you become an apostle? They'll usually say, well, you know, you know, God just kind of told me in my heart um, I had a dream and he confirmed it. And I'm like, oh, wow, really? That's cool. Because, you know, I was reading this book and in Acts, in chapter 1, it says in order to be an apostle, you have to have seen the resurrected Jesus like in bodily form. But oftentimes what you'll get is people who want a a certain level of spiritual leadership, but they they don't want to do it the Bible's way. So Paul's saying, listen, I'm not one of those fake apostles. I'm a real apostle. Why? Because my authority doesn't come from myself. It doesn't come from my denomination. It doesn't come from the church down the streets. It comes from God himself. So you can believe me. You can't believe these false phonies who are running through the churches telling you, hey, do this, do that. You need grace and work. He says, no, you can't believe them because you can always spot them out. How? Because of what they're saying about Jesus and how to be right with God. He's saying you can trust me, though. Because my message and my authority came from God Himself. And what was His message? Well, verse three, He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Basically, what Paul's saying is that the gospel that I shared to you was a message of rescue and deliverance. Your translation may say that He rescued us from the present evil age. What Paul is saying is that God has rescued us from that which we could not rescue or deliver ourselves from. When I was in high school, my sophomore or junior year, I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was driving home from the mall in my dad's like 99, 98 Honda Accord that my two sisters, sisters affectionately referred to as Rhonda the Honda. And I was driving, it was raining. And, but, you know, I didn't think it was that bad, so I just kept on driving, and then the rain got heavier and heavier. It got so heavy to the point where I couldn't see anything anymore. So now I could only rely on the taillights of the car in front of me. I get to a stop sign about five minutes away from the mall, and I can't see anything. Windshield wipers go, I can't see anything. But I'm not too, too worried because my house is about ten minutes away. And then I hear all this commotion. The light goes from red to green. And all I hear is honk, honk, honk. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I didn't realize all the commotion was geared towards me. Because on the other side of the traffic light was a flooded area of the street. I didn't know that. So I'm following the big SUV in front of me thinking my car can maneuver like his. And I'm driving. And then in seconds, the engine shuts off and my car is floating in the water. Now I'm freaking out. Water's coming into the car slowly. I'm trying to open the door. Door's not opening. The water pressure on the outside is too much. And I'm freaking out, Lord. I'm crying. I'm like this. I'm thinking, I can't die like this. Like, I'm 16. Like, I, I still want to go to college. I want to have a life. I-, I-, I can't go out like this. I'm sitting there. I'm praying. I unbuckle. The, you know, I'm thinking I I can possibly try and break the window, but I've never done that before. But you know, when you're in a moment of 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 trial, you'd do anything. So I was like, man, let me give the car one more. You know. Real good push. I pushed it, barely got the car open, but I lost my footing and my feet fell into the water. And now, like, I'm just stranded out of nowhere. A good Samaritan, he comes, he grabs me, and he helps carry me to the gas station on safe and dry ground. What happened? Well, I was rescued. Many of you may know friends and family who left the Louisiana area and moved to Houston to get rescued from Hurricane Katrina, you yourself may have had to endure pain and heartache as you were rescued through Hurricane Harvey. The the thing about rescue is when you're rescued out of uh, a trial, when you're rescued out of a dangerous situation, the only thing you can respond is by saying, thank you, Lord. What Paul is saying is this is the gospel that I share with you, that Jesus, our great lifeguard, he saw us in the bottom of sin's sea, helpless, lifeless, and without air and without oxygen. He does an Olympic nose dive from heaven, somersaults down into the sea of earth, into the sin's ocean, grabs us, and puts us to safe shore. And he starts doing a spiritual CPR on us, breathing the life of his spirit into us so that we can breathe again. That's, he, Paul's saying that's what rescue is. That's what deliverance is, and that's good news. That, that's the news that he first shared with the Galatians. He said, that's the news that should excite you. That is the news that brings great joy. But the issue with the Galatians is now they've allowed the good news to turn into bad news. And we see in verse 5, or excuse me, in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ. Now, even notice in verse in the verse above in verse 5, the way that you respond to good news is the same way Paul responded in verse 5, to God be the glory forever and ever. Like that, that should have been the overarching theme for the church in Galatia. But as we see in our next point in the danger of bad news, he says, I'm astonished. Like, I'm beside myself that you've turned away from that good news, that message of deliverance, that message of rescue, and now you've given yourself over to bad news. Now, Paul understood that this was spiritual danger for the church because he spent countless hours sharing the gospel with them, telling them the good news about Jesus and what Christ had done for them. That his perfect life with his atoning death, with his glorious resurrection, that for the Galatian Gentile church, this this would have been like ridiculous news for them. Because he basically told them that now they can be a part of God's family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the false teachers and the Judaizers that came in, they said, no, we got to add some stuff to that. You got to be some law we have to add to it. You got to observe some ceremonial cleanings. You got you to do what we say along with the Jesus stuff. Basically what they said is if you want to be right with God, it's not only just believing, it's also about your performance. It's not only trusting in God by faith, it's also really what you do. It's based off what you do. It's based off your work. You have to earn it. Last year, in the fall of last year, the University of Miami football team got a crazy amount of media because of their introduction of the turnover chain. Um, And and it was all over sports media. I actually almost bought a turnover chain off of Amazon, but the Lord restricted me through my wife. Um, and, and, And so the idea was this. When a defensive player gets a turnover, a sack, uh, a fumble recovery, a pick six, an interception, when they come on the sideline, they're congratulated by all their friends. Everybody's, yeah, boy. They're all over him. They're high-fiving him. They're chest bumping. And then the defensive head coach, he grabs this iced-out, blinged-out gold, -like, like heavy chain that has the University of Miami's U logo on it, and then he puts it on the player real like authoritatively and everybody's clapping. The microphone is all over on that side of the field. The camera, if you're watching the ESPN, ABC, it doesn't matter. It's on that guy or whoever made that play and he's standing up, he's battling his chest. Everybody's just like, yeah, yeah. But a few, like, few minutes later, what happens is the coach comes back. He takes the chain off of the player and he takes it back with him because you can't keep it for the whole game. It's whoever performs next. The next person that gets a fumble the next person that gets an interception. Paul is saying, these false teachers, the gospel that they're sharing is just like that. You have to earn it. You don't get to keep it. You have to work for it. Paul is saying, absolutely not. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not like the University of Miami turnover chain. You do not have to perform for it because Jesus performed for it for you. You don't have to work for it because Jesus already worked for it on your behalf. And when Jesus gives you a gift, the gift of his spirit, you get to keep it forever. He doesn't do takebacks. Paul's saying this is this should have been good news. But now he's he says, I'm astonished that now you're operating in this in this works, in this new way. Basically, what they're saying is if you want the love and favor of God, you have to obey. But the gospel says, I have the favor and the love of God in Christ Jesus, therefore I obey. Now you may be thinking, well, is this really a big deal? Is it is a little bit of works, is a little bit of law. I mean, it's not like they're changing the entire message. They're just saying, you know, you got to adhere to our rules. You got to do what we say. Is that really that big a deal? Well, if the good news of Jesus was just a theory, if it was just an idea, um, if it was just a concept, maybe it wouldn't be that big a deal. But it's not. Now, you may say, well, You know, there's still some stuff that I'm wrestling with. You know, I'm I'm not really sure about that whole resurrection thing. Um, And then, you know, that him being Lord over my life, like that's a big, that means like all of my life, like every part of it. I'm not really sure if I'm there yet. But, you know, I believe Jesus is a good guy, good moral teacher. I think we can learn a lot from him. Um, I just think that there are other ways that I can get to God. I mean, I don't know if I need to believe everything that the Bible says about Jesus in order for it to be true in my life. Now, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Your path is your path. My path is my path. What works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. The particulars don't really matter. Paul would say, absolutely not. Because notice, he doesn't say you're deserting from a philosophy, he doesn't say you're deserting from an idea, he doesn't say you're deserting from a concept or from a thought. Look at verse 6. He says, you're deserting him. You're not deserting a principle, you're deserting a person. Who is him? Him is who we said in verse 4, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Him is the one who calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. Him is the one who said, I don't do long distance relationships so I'm going to leave heaven, come to earth, God becomes a man in the person of Jesus and dwells among us. Him is the one who you cry to after that first, second, third breakup and you're like, I don't know if I can love again, I don't know if I can do this, but he was faithful to you. You're not just deserting deserting an idea, you're deserting a person. Paul is saying that's a problem. It's him. If if it was just a principle, that would be okay. But you're deserting the lover of your soul. He says that's bad news. And that, that we can't have. He says verse 7, not that You're turning to a different gospel, but not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, the, the thing about deserting from Jesus is that it's usually really slow. You decide, you know, I don't feel like spending time with God's people. I don't want to spend time in God's word. I don't really want to fight sin anymore. Like, I don't want to commune with other believers in community, and then what you begin to see happen is over time, see, nobody wakes up and say, man, I want to ruin my spiritual, physical, emotional life. I just want to destroy it all. Nobody wakes up and says that. Usually it's a series of small incremental steps over a long period of time. Your heart for Jesus just evaporates. Your love for spending time in God's word is gone. You'd rather be at home by yourself than in the community of the saints until ultimately you want nothing to do with God, his word, his people anymore. It's, it's a slow, sad departure. If Paul were here, Paul would say, I know that's half true, but not in this case. Because he said in verse six, I'm, surprised, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting. For him, it wasn't a matter of slow evaporation over time. For him, it was fast. See, the issue that Paul understood is that Believing a false gospel, believing a false understanding of who Jesus is and what he does, it, it, it expedites your journey to a Christless existence. Paul is so focused on them getting the gospel right that he uses harsh language. He says, I'm astonished. I'm surprised. I'm perplexed. I'm beside myself. Like, we were sharing communion with one another. We were enjoying fellowship with one another. I, I saw the tears when I told you that you, had to, you don't have to work anymore. That you who are outside of the family of God cannot be inside the family of God. And not because of your work, but because of the work of the son. How did you get to where you are now? He's beside himself. He says, these, these false teachers, they've duped, bamboozled, and hoodwinked you into believing a lie. He says that in verse 7, that there are some who would trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. The, the issue that they were having is that the false teachers that were coming in, they weren't just giving an overt like, hey, let's just take out everything and bring in something new. You know, he says it was a distortion. See, a distortion is subtle and at times it's even unnoticeable. But it's not the same as the original. You think you're getting A, but you're actually getting B. Let me see if I can make this plain. You know, there was a story a couple of years ago of a, of a husband who got into um, a really good inheritance from his family. And, I mean, a, a buttload of money. And he decided he wanted to buy his wife um, some earrings. So they went to the jewelry He saw like some $4,000 earrings. And he said, he asked the jeweler, can I buy those right off the display? He said, well, you got money? He said, yeah, I got money. He said, all right. You can take it right off the rack. So he takes the the jewelry right off the rack. He surprises his wife, and she loves them. She's wearing them for months. A couple months later, the jeweler does an audit of their store, and they're going through and looking at all their um, inventory and everything that they sold, and they realize that the jewelry, the earrings that they sold to the gentleman months ago was a fake. And it looked like the real thing, but it wasn't. Fake diamonds, fake fake everything. It was all fake. She'd been walking around with, with fake merchandise for months and so she didn't even know it. That's what a distortion is like. You think you're getting the real thing, but in actuality you're getting a counterfeit. Paul is saying that these false teachers are sharing this counterfeit gospel, which really, he says, is no gospel at all. Right? It, because the issue is, that, and you have, it, we hear it all the time, you can be saved by Jesus plus baptism. Is Jesus plus speaking in tongues? Is Jesus plus reading your Bible every day? Is Jesus plus going on a mission trip? Is Jesus plus feeding the homeless? It's Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus, Jesus plus anything leads to nothing at all. Jesus plus nothing at all leads to life everlasting. What are you adding to your faith? What What are you banking your entire life on? If it's anything other than the finished work of Jesus, then you are in trouble. Then you've been given bad news. And bad news can't save anybody. So Paul, he's upset. He's using harsh language. He says this is a, is a problem because these false teachers, they're, they're just going to okie doke you into an eternity without God. Now, I don't mind being surprised like on my birthday and, you know, like when I get something good. I don't want to be surprised when I see God and then I realize I've been believing a lie my whole life. Like, I want to hear the real thing. And, and, and it's interesting that Paul, because some people will read this and be like, man, that doesn't sound like he's not really using very, like, loving tone. He says he's astonished. He says, like, like in, in verse 8, as we'll see in a second, that if, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This, this isn't, like, lovey-dovey language, But the reality is Paul is saying the most loving thing he can because he understood the reality of the situation. He understood the seriousness of what was going on. Because when you're seeing people run and trust a different gospel, the most loving thing you can do is to tell them, don't go that way. Don't believe that. It's like a child who's upset at his parents because they're not letting him play in the street. You're like, boy, like, th- first of all, you're in my house, my yard, lawn, like, my toys. We don't, I don't even really have to do back and forth with you. But because I love you, I'll, I'll explain to you why I don't want you in the street. I don't want you playing in the street, not because I don't want you to not have fun. I actually want you to have fun to the maximum. I actually want you to have fun for generations down the line. But the only way you can do that is if you're alive. So I want you to play in the safety and in the confines of my fence, of my home, where I've built protections and safeguards for you. It's not because I don't love you. It's actually because I love you, I want you to stay where I can see you. Paul is saying that I'm so upset with you because I realize that if you're believing this false gospel, if you're believing things about Jesus that isn't true, then you're going to end up way worse than the kid who's playing in the middle of the street. So we've seen the delight of good news the danger of bad news, and lastly, the damnation of fake news. In verse eight, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we, in verse nine, say again, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, this is crazy, Paul is like, so if you want to know how important I think this is, you want to know how how adamant I am about you believing the right gospel. If anyone is teaching you any gospel contrary to the one I taught you, let him go to hell. Now, that may sound like oh, you know, but your your translation may say let him be condemned to hell. Let him be the Greek word there's anathema. Paul is saying if if anyone is coming and they're telling you things that isn't true about how to get right with God, he can go to hell. Now, if you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe the preacher said that. If you read Psalm 55, David basically says the same thing. In Psalm 55, David's on the run from his son Absalom, right? Absalom, is, you know, he's on his Jay-Z and Kanye. He's trying to wash the throne. But he's actually not just trying to wash the throne. He's trying to take the throne. And he's going to kill his father in order to do it. So David is on the run. But most scholars would say that Psalm 55 isn't about David's response to his son Absalom because the grammar and the language that he's using, uh, a Hebrew father would never use that kind of language with his son. In that culture, just like the, my Nigerian culture that I was born in, it's an honor and shame culture. Really, most scholars would say that Psalm 55, David is talking about Ahithophel, his old BFF, his running mate, the one who he was side neck and neck with who is now turned against him. And he says this in Psalm 55. He says in verse 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts you, who taunts me, excuse me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals instantly with, instantly with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal. A Hebrew father would never talk to his child like that, like we're equals. He says it's you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We talked in the throng. Then... He drops the mic in verse 15. He says, let death steal over them. Let him go down to Sheol alive. Did you catch that? Verse 15, let him go down to Sheol alive. He says, God, send him to hell alive. Like David's situation in this context is a little different than Paul's in Galatians, but the, the, the result is still the same. He says, God, send these wicked, fake news preaching, false gospel peddling, false teachers straight to hell. Now, if that doesn't, like, cringe you on the inside, then it it should. Right? Because the reality is Paul's saying you you have to get the gospel right. Your eternity is banked on what you believe about Jesus and what you believe Jesus has done for you. Because if you think you need to add to what Jesus has already done, then you're in trouble. So he says, God send him to hell. Then he says, listen, he says... Anybody can get it. He says, if whether it's me or an angel from heaven, if anybody comes teaching a different message than the one I initially taught you, then he can be accursed. Now, this is interesting because basically what he's saying is the most important thing is the message, not the messenger. For so often, and especially in our Western cultural context, we love the messenger. But Paul's understanding is it's always about the message, not the messenger. The messenger will change. He'll go through seasons. He'll die. New messengers will come. But the message will always stay the same. Basically what Paul is saying is that you and I as gospel proclaimers, we're just like the USPS. We got one job, deliver the mail. Not edit it, not look at what we like, take out what we don't like. No, you got one job. You take the mail and you deliver it. That's what a herald was. That, that's, what, that's, that's what good news was back to the ancient times. Uh, a, a servant of the king would come and he would say, I have declared you something from the king. This is what the king says, good news, gospel. Now, the servant would never come and say something the king didn't say because he understood if I say something that my king told me not to say, then it's off with my head. Right? Paul saying it's all about the message, not the messenger. The messengers will come and go, but the message will remain the same. Now, this was in his first time dealing with this because in Philippians 1, he dealt with this um, head on. In Philippians 1 verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And what he says next is stunning. He says, he, he, now he doesn't say, man, I hate these people. Like, you know, they're just preaching the gospel um, just because they don't like me. They're preaching the gospel because you know, they know I'm in prison and they're trying to, you know, advance their own ministry. He, he doesn't even say, like, woe to them for preaching an authentic message with inauthentic, inauthentic motives. He says in verse 17, he says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Translation: As long as you get the message right, I don't care what you think about me. Paul understood that the most important thing was the message, and whether he was in prison, whether he was suffering, whether other people were coming and sharing the message of the gospel, and and they didn't like him, it didn't matter because for him, the truth of his Savior was being proclaimed. And so the question that this ad that it begs us is, what what's most important to you? Is it the message? Or is it the messenger? Everybody has their favorite YouTube pastor. Everybody has their favorite podcast pastor. That's not what Paul's asking. Paul's asking is, do you know the message? Do you believe the message? Has the message gripped your heart so much so that it doesn't matter who's proclaiming it as long as it's being proclaimed? And now, Paul, he goes in as, as he closed. In verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking The approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The scuttlebutt around town was you know, Paul's just telling you guys this because he wants you to accept him. He's preaching an easy believism gospel. He's saying, man, it don't matter what your past is. You could be a rapist, you could be a murderer, you could be an adulterer, you could be a serial adulterer. It doesn't matter. As long as you repent of your sin, trust in Christ, then you'll have salvation. They were saying that's that. He's just telling you guys that because he wants your approval. He wants you to like him. Paul is saying, well, to that first point, you know, about it doesn't matter what your past is, you know, rapist, he said, yeah, that's true. Like, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you come to the foot of the cross, you come on level playing ground. But to that second part, he says, if I really cared about what you thought about me, would I tell you that you could go to hell? I mean, that doesn't sound like somebody who's just like, oh, I, I really want the approval of these people. Paul understood two things. He understood that if you are constantly living for the approval of others, you're going to end up a very tired person. You're going to be constantly trying to gain people's approval while constantly losing love for God because you can't have both. You can't have both. It, and then he also understood that if you live for the approval of people, if, you're, if your desire and goal in life is for people to love you and to like you and to affirm you, if that's what you're living for, he says what, one or two things is going to happen. And this is a secret of people pleasing that you can have is free. He says they're either going to deify you or they'll demonize you. The moment that they love you and the moment that you're saying what they, what, you, what they want you to say, they'll deify you. Oh, you're the greatest. We love you so much. You're wonderful. You're amazing. You're, a, you're all this stuff. But then the moment that you stop saying the things that they want you to say, then they will demonize you. Right? And, and nobody knew this better than Jesus. Oh, we, we love you, Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for turning water into wine. Next Press play, next track, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They literally said that he was the prince of demons. Well, what happened? Well, the, the moment that he was superstar Jesus, feeding their needs, giving them what they wanted, we love you. All hail King Jesus. The moment he started saying things that they didn't like, like um, repent and believe, um, love your enemies, um, hard things that, that the scripture says but that maybe they wouldn't like. Then they said, we gotta get get rid of this guy. We're not just gonna demonize him, we're gonna crucify him. The question that you have to ask yourself is, who do you live for? Paul would say, you and I should live for an audience of one. In his book, The Call, um, Oz Guinness writes about people after people who spent their lives living for people's approval, living for the praise of man. He talks briefly about Andrew Carnegie, um, who spent his whole life literally. Want his main goal in life was to come back to the city of his birth, just to prove to them that he'd become ridiculously rich and wealthy. He talked about Marlene Dietrich, the artist, um, back in the 1900s or 19th century, excuse me, um, who she would literally record the applauses after her performances, and then invite people into her home, and she would play those applauses from each performances that she had, and she would tell her guests which applause that they were from based on which city she was at. So she could pick the city, she could pick the applause and tell you what city that she received that applause in, right? I mean, that's the height of narcissism, right? I mean, it should make us turn inside our stomach. But if we're honest, it should also humble us. Because the truth is, you and I, as much as we hate to admit it, we also love living for people's approval. The reality is, We want people to like us. We want people to affirm us. We want people to approve us. Paul is saying you don't have to live for the approval of man anymore because your big brother Jesus has won your approval in God. And how did he do that? He said that Jesus was rejected by man. He wasn't living for the approval of man. As a matter of fact, he said, I've come to do my father's will. And my father's will is going to be different than your will. But he didn't live his life wondering, will they like me? Will they love me? Will they appreciate me? Because he was living for an audience of one, right? And his baptism in Luke 3 and in in, in John 3, or excuse me, Matthew 3, Jesus is being baptized by his cousin, his big cousin John. The heavens part open and he hears a voice from his father, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He lives his entire life with the audible voice of the love of his father, and what he's telling us now is if you're trusting in him, if your hope is when what Jesus has done for you, that salvation is by him, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, found in scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. If you're trusting in that, then you no longer have to live for people's approval. That now you are free from the pressure of trying to be what everybody else wants you to be. And you can be who God has created you to be in Christ Jesus. And so thus you can say like Oz Guinnesson, towards the end of his book, I live for the audience of one. Before others, I don't need their approval. I don't need to gain anything from them. Because I live for God's approval. Would you join me in a prayer? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, God, your promises, and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, that he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. God, we thank you that we don't have to live life trying to earn your favor, earn your love, but that we have your love and we have your favor because of Jesus. Help us as we battle and as we struggle with people-pleasing. Help us as we battle and as we struggle with wanting approval from others. Help us to live all of our lives, quorum Deo, in the face of God. It's in his name we pray. Amen.